0: Can you describe a couple specific examples? Uh, you know, think of a manufacturing company. You have some telemetry data from a particular device. Name that device. Talk about the situation, the piece of data. Just a very, very brief example, and then the command idea uh, uh, and the, this event-driven data. Talk about a couple examples uh, to compare and contrast to really help everybody listening to this podcast get a good grip on it. And then Matt, I'll throw it over to you after that to. Talk about some of the pros and cons. What your thoughts are? So, Jeff, let's m- make it real. You know, remove Dave kicking me out of the out of the podcast and <laughs> your kids ignoring you. Let's use the example
1: product. of uh, the meeting has started now. You better join because Dave. Let's <laughs> <done. laughs> That's go. That's
2: yeah. So, um, yeah, quite a common example is um, yeah the the recipe download. Uh, Example. So, I have a a production line that may be making widgets and it might have different widgets coming down the line one after the other to a workstation. And, um, you know, the widget arrives at the workstation, that's an event, widget arrived. Um, But now there's a command that needs to be fired by something that says, okay, I need to now, grab the recipe for that particular widget and send it to a machine so that that machine now needs to do something for that, that process. Uh, so we have an event, which is you know, this thing has happened. The widget has arrived at the, at the work cell And now there's a response to that event, which is a command to download the recipe uh, into the control system, perhaps you know, as an example. And typically, uh, you know, an MES system would be issuing that command, uh, maybe to another microservice or to another uh, piece of software, to say, please download that recipe. And where the you can get a whole bunch of different failure scenarios is what happens if I if I receive that command to download the recipe. And I can't for some reason. What happens to the command? Uh, you know, do I retry? Do I you know put that into a failure queue somewhere and, and you know request help from an operator? Uh, you know, there's a whole bunch of scenarios there. And uh, as we get more and more involved in cloud-native, distributed systems, this this uh, scenario and this challenge becomes exponentially more difficult. So imagine that, uh, imagine that I haven't got one application that can download a recipe for me. Imagine I've got a, a cluster of three all the same, all have the capability of downloading the recipe, and I can send my command to any one of the three. Uh, So maybe Matt and Dave and Kevin all have the ability to to download this recipe and I can send the command to any of them. So I send it to Kevin. Kevin tries to download the recipe, uh, but runs into an issue. Um, So you've received the command, right? I've told you, you, you've accepted the command, you've tried to do it. But what happens if you fail? Uh, I need to know as the person who issued the command that you've you've not been able to execute that command and now I need to decide whether I need to reissue that to Dave um, to give him a try or whether you know I I need to abort and and try something else. So there's some very complex uh, handshaking that needs to go on not just at the message level but at the application level with acknowledging the execution of a command versus the receipt of a
0: message. Uh, so then, how is it that MQTT falls down on this job, or pumps MQTT, up, et cetera?
2: Yeah, MQTT does not have the ability to manually acknowledge a message. So a message is automatically acknowledged when it's received by the client in almost all the client uh, libraries, uh, MQTT client libraries and very, very few of them actually allow you to manually acknowledge the message. So as the piece of software that's executing a command in most other transport protocols or or messaging protocols like RabbitMQ or Kafka even, if I I receive a message, I can automatically acknowledge the message, uh, which which you can do for, for broadcasting and streaming and so on. But for uh, transactions, I can manually acknowledge a message after I've processed it. So that allows the broker to, to retain the message, know that you've received it, know that you're working on it, but I'll keep it until you tell me that you've actually processed it, and then I can remove it off the queue. And if, if that times out, uh, or you come back and say, actually, no, I, I negative acknowledge that message, I, as the broker, can then pass it off to Dave to have a go and then Matt to have a go. Um, That capability is missing in MQTT. Yeah, so this
1: idea of uh, the client-server relationship is uh, tightly coupled to one another to, that's where commanding is very strong. And uh, you can see this in OPC UA, for example, where they have the concept of a method and a server can expose its methods can expose what parameters it needs for those methods. And then when a client calls a method, the server will reply back with some response code. Either the command was successful or it had any number of failures with trying to execute that that method. So with MQTT, however, you've introduced this idea of a middleman of, of the broker. And so the client is connecting to the broker and it's sending its command. But the whole idea of MQTT is I give it to the broker and then I don't care after that. The broker's job is to get it to where it should go. But me as the publisher, the idea of MQTT is that it's offloaded this idea of me as a publisher carrying however many people are out there to receive my data. So for publishing uh, telemetry, that's um, it's almost like a one to many relationship typically, where you have one publisher, one source of data, it sends it out with one packet and then the broker can fan it out To as many clients as needed so it's a very one to many relationship but commanding is the opposite where you typically have um it's one to many in the opposite direction where or it's almost one to one where you have the one uh, source of the command that says i want this to happen it's going to send it to the broker but it wants to also know did the broker then send it to the application Um, and then did the application process it correctly so then it needs to receive a message back through an, an additional two hops. So if we walk through the, the process, uh, I want to send a command, I send it to the broker, MQTT would acknowledge that and said, oh, I received your, your message. Even if you do QoS level two, which is a handshake back and forth to say that I did, in fact, receive your message, and I'm only process at one time. So MQTT can tell you that. But that only tells you one step of the process. It only tells you that the command got from you as the source of the command to the broker. And that's all that you know. You don't know what happens on the other end. You don't know if anyone is even listening to receive the command, for, um, for example. So you could be sending a command to the broker and no one be connected, and it just goes into the bit bucket because no one is actually there to receive the command. And you as the person giving the command wouldn't even know that no one's listening. You think the process is going swimmingly, but in fact, uh, everyone's disconnected and, and off doing its own thing. So the idea that this is where, it, it's at the application level really, uh, if MQTT or you modify MQTT to help in this regard, because MQTT only has the concept of telemetry. It doesn't have the a com- a concept of a command response uh, within its architecture. So this idea that you're gonna publish a special type of packet and the broker knows oh i'm going to send this on and then to the the subscriber i'm going to send it on and i'm expecting for acknowledgement from the subscriber and then i'm going to forward that acknowledgement back to whoever uh, produced it and so um that is a totally new concept of mqtt and there's really no way of standardizing it um spark plug it, it itself hasn't standardized it so that could be a potential area for um Spark plug to help solve it. Of um, this idea of I got a device, I want to send a command to it, and standardize what, how should that be packaged, and then what is the, the standard responses back to it.
0: So I'm going to summarize a lot of what we've talked about, uh, talked about to help people catch up. Guys, confirm or deny whether I've I've done it right, and then want to take some of these ideas further because this is getting really interesting. Some ideas that. Uh, uh, I haven't really even thought about too much. So MQTT uh, built in response to a lot of edge device, uh, slow serial systems, Phillips 66, uh, very popular today, lightweight, uh, edge-driven, one-direction data uh, uh, to enable security, 80 to 90% less uh, bandwidth eaten up by the packets, much more efficient structure, flat MQTT. Then comes Sparkplug B to say, hey, let's add some more structure to it uh, and add a couple other uh, ideas. Uh, then uh, And that's where we all have been using Sparkplug B a lot, like it a lot, along with uh, MQTT, again, for device or, uh, as Jeff uh, calls it, it's a good word, telemetry data. Uh, then we look at all the other data systems in a manufacturer that we want to work with. We'd like to get some really good contextual data from the ERP system. Uh, we'd like to get uh, some results or uh, planned downtime uh, from the CMMS. We'd like to be able to send data to the CMMS. We'd like to integrate with other applications. We'd like to get into that very straightforward situation that Jeff talked about, recipe management. Uh, there's an event. Product arrives at a station. Let's download the, uh, the recipe but the weakness, it sounds like, because we are talking about MQTT, data brokers, at one-to-many relationships, send the data off, it uh, then goes to this middleman, the data broker, and then I have no idea what happens to it. As the the most we can do, uh, that I think, Matt, you had clarified, the most we can do is set QoS to uh, two, and then we can at least get a response back uh, to the sender that the middleman received it. But after that, it's as you say, goes off into the bit bucket. Uh,
3: yeah. If you think about the the movies when there's a drop where, you know, I'm a spy and I need to get the information to my handler, uh, I'm now yeah. gonna take the message. I put it under the rock. I know I've put it under the rock, I have no idea whatever happens to it after that. Did somebody else get it? Did did it get back? There there's not the acknowledgement type of thing. So that's yeah. from a, a very basic level what's happening is I know the message with, got to the rock, but I have no idea what happened afterward.
0: Okay, so then bringing in the unified namespace, because a lot of this conversation uh, is really around the unified namespace. So we have the telemetry data into the unified namespace, enterprise site area line cell. So think of, you know, uh, I live in Pittsburgh. So let's say we have a Coca-Cola plant in Pittsburgh. So Coca-Cola, Pittsburgh, uh, bottling line, line two, the bottle the cell with, uh, Alan Bradley or Siemens PLC. uh, And then you can see the data uh, under that particular node in the tree leaf uh, structure. But we want to start to get other contextual data into the system at other levels. How do we do that? Uh, And that's really what we're talking about. We can use client-server discrete connections uh, with APIs and uh, uh, databases and use ETL tools, batch processes. But it's not real time, which is really what we want. So let's look for something better. Uh, again, uh, the knowledge, uh, knowledge Graph or GraphQL as an API, so to speak, uh, works well because it can uh, not only uh, query, allow querying data, but also uh, uh, subscribe to data as well. And then we started to get into this idea of uh, uh, being able to drop, <laughs> drop the message off under the rock, but we have no idea whether it uh, gets to its de- destination. How does that relate, or let's, let's bring it back to the unified namespace, how is this important, Dave, uh, around the unified namespace, the fact that we can't get that response back? Why do we care?
3: Yeah, so I, I think within the context of a unified namespace, that overall design methodology is is not bad. We're structuring that, that data following that, uh, you know, the, the master data model uh, type of thing. It's really, you know, for me, it's it's somewhat of the limitations of using an MQTT broker as sure. that yeah. single right. UNS. And so really there's there's the two issues. One we just talked about is I send a message, it goes and I know that it got it, but I have no idea what happened after that. And the other part is that since it's supposed to be that single source of truth, which is where we get into the whole being uh, able to query um. what's happening there. So, you know, where you run into issues there is that if I have, say, a time series database, uh, a process, a story, and is sometimes what it's known as, and I can and pull some trend information back, and then also connected up to my unified namespace is some kind of data lake that part of it includes some of that time series information. If I ask both of those systems the same thing, I should get the same response. But because they're housed in two different areas, i might get something different i don't have the ability to go to my what's known as that single source of truth to get that information back so those are really that i think some of the two fundamental issues we see within at least the the broker within the unified namespace Uh, jeff matthew is that that kind of where you're coming from on that too
2: yeah from from my point of view um you know the the unified namespace has Two real purposes. And, and one is, you know, this single source of truth purpose, which is if I want to know something, where do I go to find out? That's one. And the other is as this sort of messaging broker or the flow of information. So we're not building point to point interfaces between all the various different applications in our environment, right? So we channel the messaging through the unified namespace so that we build single interfaces. This is where the unified namespace, if we only consider MQTT, has some real challenges as a, as a not just us, it's fine for, a, you know, where do I go and ask for the current state of something? But if I'm trying to provide a reliable transaction between two applications, and I'm doing that over MQTT through a unified namespace. There's a whole bunch of scenarios where that that um, has some challenges.
0: So we're saying that unified namespace as a concept concept for providing structure, plant model, etc. It's a good idea. A lot of what we are talking about is the tools, how to execute it. Uh, telemetry, we're set. We're golden not telemetry, the event-driven data transactions, we've got a few things to figure out. So Jeff, you were saying the uh, purpose of unified namespace is uh, it's a place where you go to to know where to find the data. You know exactly where it's at within the whole uh, tree view structure. And the other one, uh, are you saying that it's essentially not being able to query the data or something different? No,
2: transactions between applications so if if I have my ERP system release a production order and I need to have that production order processed into my MES application um, there's two parts to that as, as we kind of said before there's firstly is receiving the message from the MQTT broker that a new order has been released and the second part is processing it into my application, which means normally transforming the the structure of the message into something that my application can understand, and then actually processing it in and making sure that all of the data lines up and that my application knows about the product that this order is for, and there's a whole bunch of areas where that might fail. And so handling all of those failure scenarios effectively uh, and making sure that the, the, all of the applications as a whole system um, can work together it becomes more complicated than just the putting the message under the rock, scenario. You know, publishing the, the message out there and hoping that somebody gets it and knows what they do with it isn't really a reliable enterprise system.
0: Solutions, ideas, guys? For that specific situation, with this idea of uh, getting transactions data between the systems, we've talked about a few things. But any additional thoughts? I mean, this sounds like a, a big drawback uh, of the tools that we're looking at right now in MQTT specifically.
3: Well, the MQTT itself, yeah, well, solved... Oh, go ahead, Jeff.
2: Yeah, you know, we, you know I, I can talk for for what we do at, at Libre. Um, you know, the the problem's not new right? Um, enterprise IT groups have been solving uh, you know, transactions across applications for a long time. And they've been doing it without REST APIs for a long time now. And so talk to anybody that's, that's had some experience with uh, Kafka or, or RabbitMQ, and, and they'll tell you, you know, how these things are solved. The concepts are actually remarkably similar to how an MQTT broker works. You still have topics, you still have messages flowing into topics, you still have subscriptions. All of these unified namespace concepts are exactly the same, you just have a few more tools um, to be able to to handle guaranteeing uh, transactional messages and handling failure scenarios than you do with the MQTT protocol. So you know, if you take the unified namespace as the concept of the ontology or, or the data model and how you structure your information and where you, where you store it in the structure, but then you use the right technology to solve the right problems, then, um, you know, you, you can easily solve uh, all of the problems that we've talked about here today.
3: Yeah, so another way we've uh, we've approached this is that are there things within the MQTT and or Spark Plug B specifications that can handle some of these things? The idea of can I issue a query command into my MQTT broker that is now going to provide a response? So that query command provides that, you know, think of in terms of like a SQL statement of, you know, select this where, you know, an order type. Uh, commands, but issue that to a particular space. So that that's one area of taking a look at it. Um, another thing, and Matthew was talking about it is the ability to, you know, I, I sent the message, I know the broker got it, but I also need confirmation that the client or the receiver uh, that I need also needs to get that response. So so build that back in. So I'm using my, my spy handler, um, you know, analogy, it's that not only do I drop uh, the message underneath the rock, I also get notification that I can go back to that rock later on, pick it up and see that there's some kind of token that says, yes, I got your message uh, type of thing. So there, there's a mechanism for those types of things occurring. Um, and I think one other issue we, we talk a little bit about, and Matthew was talking about is the idea of the wild cards. When, when Sparkplug packages all that information up, you get the entire enchilada, the entire namespace. Boy, it would sure be great if I could only get the information for the very specific packet, that telemetry data that I need. I don't need the whole thing. I only need one piece. And right now that doesn't exist. So, um, you know, one way is, as Jeff was talking about, utilize other tools for doing it. I'm a big believer in using the right tool for the problem you're trying to solve. Uh, Another way is that's something that we're talking a little bit about is, are there things that can happen within MQTT that helps enhance some of this information uh, specifically for manufacturing?
0: So solutions to this challenge are using other tools, right tool for the right job, Kafka, RabbitMQ, excuse me, MQ, RabbitMQ. Uh, these tools have been uh, and others have been solving these challenges for a while. Uh, uh, other alternatives are to look at MQTT and modify. Is that what you guys are talking about?
1: Yeah, MQTT and Sparkplug as well. Um, I know that I've I'm making uh, several suggestions to the Sparkplug working group on how can we extend right, that. the existing uh, definition of Sparkplug to make it more uh, compatible or uh, more palatable for IT systems. So for example, what David was saying earlier of Sparkplug wants to package everything together. So if you have a PLC that's publishing its data, it's going to take all of its metrics that it has available, put them into a single packet, and then publish that to the broker. and that works well because the typical use case is that you have a single SCADA system or HMI. And the assumption is that SCADA HMI is gonna receive everything. So it cares to know about every single uh, metric that exists. And so it makes sense to optimize, to reduce the bandwidth, to package everything together as tightly as you can. But in the IT world, or when you're you're going up your enterprise, um, it becomes more and more apparent that you have you don't have one HMI or one SCADA, but you have many, many, many applications that don't care about everything; they care about very specific things. And so there, you almost have to translate from the spark plug way of doing things, where it packages everything together in a binary uh, format, to where you flip it over to going up in the enterprise of a way that's more digestible in small chunks. So. Can I translate from the binary way that Sparkplug has to a JSON way? And can I split it from the the blob of all the metrics together into a topic tree structure to where I can subscribe to just that one temperature value? So, for example, if I have an application up in the enterprise where I'm trying to read all the power levels of the, of all the equipment across the entire enterprise, and all I care about is power usage because I'm trying to monitor my energy consumption for the purposes of being a sustainable company. Um, I have that one microservice running up in the enterprise and it wants to subscribe to a wildcard subscription, any plant, any line, any cell, your power usage metric. Um, I can't do that in a spark plug today. I have to manually uh, make those connections in that topics uh, space. But if I could have a, a way to translate that into and break it apart, into a way that makes sense um, to where I can uh, drill down automatically and find just those pieces of data and then get those uh, only. Uh, That would greatly improve uh, the capability of Sparkplug, being able to be used at uh, higher levels in the enterprise.
0: So uh, telemetry, uh, we care about lots of things. IT, we might care about one thing. Uh, uh, MQTT supports the caring about many things. Um, summary very high level <clears throat> and so if it uh, somebody wants to subscribe to a specific temperature of a specific device maybe they're uh, in facilities uh, and they're not looking at everything uh, all of the data across all plants but specific data uh, across all of the plants uh, then use uh, wild cards uh, within that tree structure to be able to find just that one value across the whole organization uh, that one value yeah, because the one value across many devices in a plant as, as well as a, across the whole organization. That's Is right.
1: that fair? And uh, yeah, that transformational um, function can also be to where we actually are modeling our business to have a separate area within our namespace that's going to house all that power usage information, just to use an example. So that when it's transforming it from a spark plug binary, everything compacted together and expanding it out into its different parts. It can also copy that same information over to this other part of the UNS. So that if you had this group or this function within the business that says, I really care about all the power usages, they only have one place to go to, to go find it. Uh, So that's another way to solve the problem um, is that you start to collect all these little pieces of data and you shove them into one part of the UNS or the, the namespace to make it easier to find. Uh, And you can do that with any number of uh, pieces of data where you're just either copying it over, replicating it to move it to make it more organized, or you're actually doing some kind of transformation on it and then moving it to another place so it becomes less raw data and more informational. So that's all this whole other level of that we really haven't talked about is taking telemetry data and converting it into information um, what's commonly becoming referred to as data ops. So that's a whole nother layer of the, the UNS architectures, being able to transform data and um, shove this data that's coming from disparate systems into a way that's organized uh, within other people, the business they, they're able to understand what this data is and, and why they care about it. Yeah, it's a,
2: it's a big challenge. Uh, are you saying that- One uh... of the-, the uh... It's yep, a big challenge on. and it's one of the, uh, the areas where um, you know, it's very possible to get into that multiple human namespace world where you've got many single sources of the truth because you're having to package up your uh, to namespace into, okay, if you're interested in power consumption, go here and you'll find information about this sensor. But if you're interested in all of the sensors on this machine, including power consumption, go over here and you'll also find that information. So um, not that that's necessarily a problem, but it, it can become a problem if you have multiple namespaces. And so that's that's a great example of where GraphQL solves that problem by allowing you to query the context of the information which you can't do in MQTT. So if you have all of that, uh, all of your unified namespace exposed in GraphQL, you can very easily query for, give me all of the power consumption information um, without having to duplicate it across different areas of your namespace. Or you can query for, give me all of the sensors on this machine, including power consumption, or you know, give me, you know something else entirely it's queryable um, and you can subscribe to those queries which means I can get the information but I can also get a stream of that information uh, coming back to me so this is where you know stepping outside of MQTT can really uh, yeah, open up the open up the
0: throttle of the power of what you can do. So uh, again, to solve some of these challenges we're talking about, uh, to really enable VNS uh, to live up to its ideals, to its name, we have to look at ways to either work with MQTT, potentially modify how MQTT works, and or uh, to look at other tools. And one of the tools brought up here in this conversation is GraphQL with the knowledge graph, etc. To that specific idea, I want to think about time here uh, uh, and keep the conversation moving. But just very briefly, we've we've just cracked the the top of the can of the worms here for GraphQL. Can we just open up that lid a little bit more to really see what's inside? Briefly, Jeff, what a, what are knowledge graphs? what is GraphQL and API to the knowledge graphs? And then how is it actually working within the unified namespace? How would it work at a high level?
2: Yeah, so the easy way to think of it, uh, you know, and I'm gonna assume most people listening to this podcast are familiar with the unified namespace <coughs> concept as it's described, right? Which is we have, uh, you know, a structure, a hierarchical structure normally of, of our topic names where we can find somewhere to put all of our information in this, in this tree of, of topic names. Um, the challenge as Matt uh, rightly described is, what if the information I'm getting at is not on one branch of my tree, of you know, my topic tree here? So how do I get to all of the power meters? If my power meter data is spread across this this namespace tree, GraphQL uh, is a query language. It's actually poorly named in my opinion because it doesn't actually have anything to do with graph as such. It's just a query language. So imagine being able to write an SQL query across the information in your MQTT topics where you can join and you can link and you can query off to metadata about that topic. So I can very easily say, okay, I'm interested in all of the information that's about power meters, Uh, give me that. Or I can say, I'm interested in all of the information that's related to this particular machine, give me that. Uh, And I can subscribe to that query Rather than just being able to subscribe to uh, a wildcard subscription in a topic name or a topic name structure. So, yeah, the big challenge with MQTT topic structures, when you're designing your unified namespace structure, is designing it to be able to suit the types of wildcard queries that you're going to want to write on it. Um, The problem is, you don't really know what you're going to want to do with it in the future, and each different use case kind of requires a different structure in order to be make it really usable. So that's where you end up with these multiple unified namespaces to suit different uh, you know user groups or applications. So GraphQL really allows you to solve that problem.
0: So GraphQL, I uh, look at QL query language, I think about structured query language, uh, query language used for relational databases. I'm very familiar with that. You can query, do all kinds of creative and, and crazy things to query many tables, uh, many fields in a table, many tables within a database, and many databases with uh, across a whole uh, network of databases, if and as needed. Though that's kind of inefficient, but that's a whole other question. But applying this idea of a query language, are you saying that there is effectively an, an SQL-like query language? that can be used for uh, uh, knowledge graph databases, and you're not storing the data in knowledge graph database, but you're using that GraphQL idea to then query something else, which is the unified namespace?
2: You you can query your MQTT topics with a query language, yes.
0: But then where does the data live? If the data doesn't live in the unified namespace, literally because the unified namespace is an architecture, uh, it's an idea, it's a model, then where does the data live?
2: Yeah. So, so your live streams of data are coming into the MQTT broker, right? So if what you're interested in is the current state of stuff, then, you know, your MQTT broker is as good as anything else as the source of that. If what you're interested in is the history of that information or the, you know, what happened to this, Value over the last two months, then you're probably going to want to get that from a database of some sort. Uh, GraphQL allows you to join those two things together. And so you can query for the current state directly off the MQTT topics or the history from whether that's a, a historian or it's an SQL server database or whatever else.
0: So for the history, data needs to be stored, no doubt, can be in a, a Knowledge Graph database. But what you're saying is that we're applying the concept of, of using GraphQL to query directly to the unified namespace in the, the, the data broker. And because you had said earlier, connecting an idea, GraphQL can do subscriptions. So essentially, you, mm-hmm. you are writing, instead of using wild cards within the namespace structure that Matt's talked about, we're using a GraphQL query to watch query. effectively, to watch the the namespace in the data broker, with its own structure, wildcards or or not, however you write that out, uh, and then because so it can do subscriptions, so, all of that. yeah, yeah, the, being, the
1: MQTT is very limited on. And Jeff was right to point this out: is that if you're trying to architect your topic namespace about how am I going to organize all my data and what topics they use to make it easy for consuming applications to know what topics to subscribe to to then get the data that they want. That is an impossible job to create a topic structure that's going to satisfy all the use cases. Because first off, you're not going to know all the use cases that are there today. And then all the future ones, you'll never know. about. So it's impossible to know that. And so you might as well give up on on that effort. And so what Jeff's talking about is this, you create this abstraction layer on top of that that's going to abstract away the MQTT broker. It's going to abstract away the database. It's going to abstract away all the other sources of data. And almost like an analogy of a restaurant is that you as a customer come in, you provide your order to the waiter. The waiter then goes back to the kitchen. You don't know what's happening in the kitchen. It could be chaos. It could be they go next door to the store to get the food that they ran out of. And then, but the waiter comes back with what you requested. And so. An architecture like that is what's going to enable um, it to be scalable because, again, the technologies that are needed, there's no one solution to this. It's You're going to have to put together and piece together um, a tech stack of sorts to be able to supply all these different use cases. And so that you want to hide from the consuming applications because that's very complicated. There's too many interfaces. You know how to interface to each of them. So if you can provide that single API or that single um Again, and that's what UNS is trying to be, is if you need anything, any data in the business, you come to me and ask, and I will find a way to get it to you. Um, And then on top of that, it's ask me in this way, and then I understand what you're trying to ask for, and then I will know how to get it for you. So the UNS is both a single location that everyone can go to, and it's also that uh, agreed upon organization of all the data.
0: Well said. Well said. Uh, you're starting to summarize like I was just starting to to think about summarizing to to start to wrap up. Uh, one thing I wanted to throw out uh, just for fun is I've heard out there in the ether that there is a uh, a Paris method and a Schultz method for, <laughs> for the unified. nasal what's up with this, guys? Come on, just briefly t- tell me what what's up with this? Copywriting? Oh. Uh, any you know?
3: Yeah, no. So these were, I I talked earlier about some of the challenges with Sparkplug and the ability to publish to the the same um, group and node. And within the Sparkplug specification, those have to be unique. So if I want to bring in and and structure that ISA-95 enterprise site area line cell, I really can't have a plant broker where I'm now publishing from a particular you know, PLC directly into that because I'm going to run out of that topic namespace because I want to publish enterprise site or line cell. Well, because if I use the plant and the area as my group and node, I can only have one item doing it. So the way that I go about solving that is that you set up multiple namespaces with multiple brokers. And I publish to that, that common broker because The group node idea concept is that it's a logical grouping of devices. So, If I'm in my uh, packaging area, I'm going to have line 1, line 2, line 3, that's a logical grouping, so I would have packaging, line 1, um, so to speak, as a, for ex- an example. And then I'm going to have other brokers or other applications that are now consuming from that and can, is that as part of its overall namespace as well. So I can roll those up into now, have that site, and then have those area brokers as my group node ID type of thing. So that's the way I approach it is that I can have these semantic models utilizing the Enterprise territory aligned cell as part of those group node device IDs per the specification. So that's that's the so-called Schultz method
0: and the Paris method.
1: Yeah. So this is all stemming from what is appearing to be a limitation of Sparkplug. Of when you're trying to integrate Sparkplug into the entire enterprise, um, how how do you name the the group ID? Because that's really the only means that you have to segment uh, uniquely different pieces of uh, of equipment. So, um, do you have a uh, globally unique name, meaning across your entire business? This group ID is never going to be used anywhere else. And, um, or is it going to be a relatively unique name? So that means within a given plant, it'll be unique or within a given work cell, it'll be unique. Because as you start aggregating the data up, if you if you have it unique to just a work cell, you're gonna have conflicts as you start to try to merge and aggregate this data and federate it. Because the work cell of plant A is gonna have the same name as the work cell on plant B. And then how do you merge those two together? So the alternative method, um, and so David talked about how you can aggregate that up in a way where you're actually transforming the data as you move up the different levels to keep them from interfering with one another but the other way to do it is that you create a group id that's uh, universally unique within your enterprise and so a simple way to do that is just have a concatenation of your enterprise dash plant dash line dash work cell dash uh, you know work element and you know that that no one else is going to have that uh, that group id and then your plc or your device can have a unique node id to publish into that And so, but that becomes then complicated, because if you have this concatenation of uh, enterprise, plant, uh, area, cell, all smattered together, but then you have a consuming application that says, I just want to subscribe to all the things that are within a plant. Well, now you have to parse through all the different group IDs to sort out, well, which one is which plant. You can't leverage the native capability of MQTT where it's the different levels and you can say, I wanna subscribe to this level and then everything underneath it. So that's again, where Sparkplug could be improved, where um, you break apart the group ID. If you have like, let's say a standardized delimiter that says if you use this delimiter in Sparkplug B and you convert it to, let's call it a Sparkplug C, I can now convert it to an MQTT uh, topic structure. And then now I can insert, you would know, have at the top Top level of the topic, you'd have your enterprise, and then underneath that, you'd have all your plants, and then underneath that, you'd have all your lines. And so you can use the group ID as just with a delimiter separating out those different topic tree structures as a hierarchy, so that you can then kind of flip back and forth, translating from one namespace to the other.
3: you muted, Kevin.
0: So there's got to be somebody in every call. It was me. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) So looking at the time, we've got to start wrapping it up. Uh, A lot of heavy stuff. Thank you, Matt. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Dave, for for your unique methods. Uh, We have talked about a whole lot of ideas starting from the ground up of what is MQTT and Sparkplug B, what's the unified namespace and challenges for each of these. We've maybe opened up uh, and talked about Uh, openly the 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 questions uh have thrown around a few suggestions uh about possible ways to solve but it's not done yet the solution is not staring us in the face The the one single solution what i would love to see happen and maybe it can happen is that we can get together again and continue the conversation with a couple more uh members on the on the panel here Uh, but with that said uh let's go one more last round for a minute each of you to give some Final thoughts, either to summarize or open up yet another question. Feel free <laughs> that we can continue the question, the conversation later. Jeff, why don't you go first?
2: Uh, I'll spend a minute describing the Noonan method. It's gotta be
0: one, Yeah, Yeah, um,
2: hurry hurry like, like, yeah <laughs> you know, we can't have a Schultz method and a Paris method when we get left out. So um, my method is leave Sparkplug B as a data source, not as part of your unified namespace. So yeah, connect to your PLC tags or your sensors and devices with Sparkplug B. You get great discoverability. Then transform that information from Sparkplug B and put it into your namespace. Um, Ideally, put a GraphQL API over the top of that so that you can access it easily. Um, of out of that system, store it in a, in a, uh, a graph native database, even uh, if you like, and uh, and even put a time series database plugged into the side of that uh, with a whole enterprise model attached to it. That's, uh, that's the Noonan method you can read about it on
0: librarymfg.com. <laughs> so it already exists. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> Great summary. Good. Thank you, Jeff. Matthew. Mr. Perry. Yeah, I would
1: say uh, today uh, a lot of if, if anyone is frustrated with this and uh, trying to solve solutions, it's because that this is also new and there's not really any reference architectures that exist or uh, readily available solutions that are just uh, pervasive through the market. If you think about 40 years ago, uh, the protocol wars that were happening at the low levels of networking, you had a thick net, you had X25 um, um FDDI and all, all these different, and Ethernet was just one of many. And um, it, there had to be some pain at that point in the market to select, well, which one is actually going to win out um, in terms of being scalable, cost-effective, and something that people can manage easi- easily. So I think we're experiencing a lot of that, too, at the application level of we're manufacturing um sites that want to in a scalable way get all of our data off the plant floor in in a way that's going to enable all these different use cases Um, but the applications to be able to do that um, are just now starting to be developed Um, it's not something that's been available for 20 years and it's just that no one knows of it these are problems that um, really need uh, to be solved through new applications and new protocols being developed so this is uh, just the start of what's going to be a bumpy ride
0: fair so but one up. of the yeah one of the yeah buckle up no doubt but one of the the concerns that they come to mind even for companies that we're talking with is that the, uh, if they are looking at you know all these different ways to, to do things all these different ideas to implement this really new idea everybody buys into or a lot of people buy into the the unified namespace but how to do it and all these different options and people want to make sure that they select the method that's going to work and be future proof uh, uh, you know, somebody who back in the day didn't select Ethernet probably had to do a lot of rework. And and my concern is that that whole idea is going to worry a lot of people and stop them from moving forward. Yeah. Uh, uh, and that is a big concern of mine. That we've got a you know, a lot of people, especially engineers, will analyze situations and have difficulty making a choice to move forward. And so hopefully there's a way to do that. Do you have a, a real quick thought and then Dave summarize and. We'll, uh, yeah, and uh, if
1: you if it's not uh, difficult enough to, on the technologically uh, networking side to connect things, oh, just uh, try right. to get a um, company to agree on how the UNS should even be
0: structured, that they oh, all yeah, d- agree
1: true. to a single data model. So, uh, the, the challenge Thanks for is making
0: that... it more complicated. <laughs>
3: yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. All good stuff. Yeah. Dave. What yeah. Are so your, final. Yeah. About?
3: yeah, final thoughts for me are that you know there there's a lot that's coming down uh, the pipeline. Um, it's certainly not an easy problem to solve. I'm a big believer in in democratizing the data. We talk a lot about having these open systems and open architectures. So what I would focus on is utilizing a lot of the tools that are out there that are open source and and maybe for manufacturing, it means we're gonna start using some technologies that exist in other areas of uh, other businesses that we haven't used before and be open to taking a look at these, these open architectures, these open source where I can now use these things to solve problems. So I have a truly democratized technology stack where any application, any problem I'm trying to solve, I can use whatever tool is out there at my disposal. And it just, it makes it that much easier to where when anything plugs into the enterprise, all of that information is made available. I mean, that's that's ultimately what we're trying to do is create these ecosystems. So. Um, is we, We've talked about several ways of going about it, um, more will be revealed, and I'm looking forward to it.
0: Awesome. Great thoughts. All right, well, that'll be a wrap for the 4.0 Solutions uh, conversation around MQTT, Spark Plug B, and Unified Namespace and how to get it to work. Uh, guys, this has been a really great conversation. We appreciate Walker and Josh for uh, having us on uh, while Walker is on his sabbatical. Walker, I hope you're enjoying your sabbatical. Please finish that book. Everybody's looking forward to it. Uh, and also, uh, uh, Jeff, Matt, Dave, really appreciate you being on. Thank you so much.
3: Sure. Thank you. All right. Take
0: care. Thanks,
2: thanks for coordinating Enjoy. us and keeping us on track.
0: <laughs> All good. Appreciate thanks. it. Thank you, Kevin.
2: All right. See you.